Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Chuck on Score North and scorenorth.com. The game of hockey and it's the greatest league in the world, uh, you know, the NHL and and to, you know, to have a game seven, you hear so many, so many players and, you know, people in general in sports talk about, you know, playing, playing and game sevens and the excitement of it. And when you're a kid playing road hockey or, you know, shooting on the net, uh, you know, in your backyard or in front of your garage, I mean, you're, you're always talking about game seven, game winner and what have you. So, I mean, it's just, we're all kids, right? I mean, we're all kids playing a game. I love Dino showing the ink. Dude, I had no showing idea. Showing the ink. I had no idea he had it up. I didn't either. I didn't either, but it's it makes total sense. It fits. <laughs> it looked like he had some sort of wild animal on his left arm, biceps going down into the forearm, and then I couldn't tell what was on the right arm. Something above the fold, right? I mean, he's he's one of those guys that he's going to wear a dress shirt, and he's going to be all business, but for Game 7, uh-uh. We're busting out the tats. We're showing you. We're showing you who's boss. In fact, him busting out the tats, I think, is a subliminal message to Vegas to say, "Take that, you guys! You have messed with the wrong coach and the wrong team." I think Dino gets done. I, I think you know because he's very cliche ridden, sort of button up guy. I think the season gets done, and he's got the Harley in the garage ready to go. <laughs> oh. The leather jacket, the Harley. Yeah, I think I think Dino. There's more there there than he probably wants you to think. And mm-hmm. the tats are the tip of the iceberg. Well, and if he does have a Harley in the garage, I don't even know if we're scheduled to do this today. But Dennis Kirk deserves <laughs> some shout outs here because if he's got that Harley in the garage, yes, he should go to DennisKirk.com. Over a hundred sixty thousand parts and accessories. Whatever you ride, they've got you covered. And the best thing about DennisKirk.com, too, is if you order by 8 p.m., they ship the same day, and shipping is free on orders over $89. So hopefully, hopefully yeah. he'll, be, he'll be dusting off that ride and riding his way vroom, vroom to the Rocky Mountains in Colorado for the second-round series. He rides all over the country. Yeah. Hey, Dennis he doesn't Kirk, take the I'm going to ride, I'm gonna ride, I'm gonna boys, ride I'm my, on my Harley. Here you go. <laughs> so, boys, this is Mackie and Judd on a Friday here. We're going to get to Action Movie Rewind, Rush Hour, a great late 90s classic. A um, little bit of Twins discussion, too, because, all right, they've stepped their game up in the last week. But, boys, this is a Game 7 coming up in just a few hours here tonight. And it's a good time to look back. The history of the Mackie and Judd show, long before Declan was even a part-time producer filling in for our old full-time producer, Dave Harrigan. In the first few months of the Mackie and Judd show, it was still, it was still the Cinderella ride. Uh, it, was the, it was the honeymoon period of for the crazy suitor era. Well, for, oh, for us. Oh, I was going to say, are you talking about the Mackie and Judd show or are you talking about the Wild? I'm talking about the previous incarnation of the Wild, the crazy gotcha, okay. suitor era. This was 2014, the spring. And, uh, and you know, hockey's, hockey's always been Judd's thing, and it's been like I jump in. I'm a very bandwagon hockey guy, and everyone who listens to the show knows that. But something lit a flame inside Phil Mackey during those playoffs <laughs> seven years ago, <laughs> and the hockey whisperer was born. And for those of you who are new, we've got a lot of new fans of the show, and we appreciate you guys. A lot of you guys are finding us on YouTube uh, YouTube.com slash ScoreNorthMN and Purple Daily Podcast. Seven years ago, April 30th, 2014, a little over seven years ago, the Hockey Whisperer had a premonition. 
He looked into his hockey crystal ball before Game 7, first round at Colorado. Wild had tied the series two games apiece after falling down 2-0. Colorado takes Game 5. Wild take Game 6, force a Game 7. And the Hockey Whisperer, live on 1500 ESPN, told you guys, overtime, Nino Niederreiter, book it. And it Mm -hmm. happened. And when the hockey whisper gets strong premonitions, mm-hmm. they oftentimes come to fruition. And before this series started, before a game was even played against Vegas in the playoffs, yeah. the hockey whisper told you guys, this is going seven. Kevin Fiala will be the overtime goal scoring hero for the wild in game seven. And I'm just saying, listen, who knows what's going to happen tonight, but you best not bet against strong premonitions by the hockey whisper. And I believe his intro was the hockey whisperer. Well, we had a we had, we had the uh, George Michael uh, the 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 wham careless whisper sax solo, which would violate copyright <laughs> yeah, laws for uh, digital but think, platforms. But I think we gave him his own whisper. Hockey whisperer. That's right. He's gonna, he's gonna tell you who's gonna light the lamp tonight. He's gonna get a greasy. Dis- he's gonna get a greasy prediction here. <laughs> yeah. So so you still see Fiala. Overtime tonight? I feel better about that prediction after watching. And by the way, he's Declan's guy. So I would, the hockey whisperer, the hockey whisperer in terms of the X's and O's and the actual tactics would defer to Declan on this. Right. But he, the hockey whisperer feels better about that prediction after what we saw in game six and Fiala just coming to life in the series, right? That he's going to carry that thing over. And the way, and I, just, just to add to it, because it, the hockey whisperer is getting some strong feelings. It's like those movies, like uh, like that Poltergeist movie from oh, the eighties, yeah. where of classic Craig T. Nelson. Yeah. You, you get these like ghost whispers that the, the wild here. You walk here. into a haunted house and you just feel like you just feel overwhelmed by presence, right? It's like the hockey oh, yeah. whisperer walks into the playoffs and sometimes is just hit with strong. Hockey visions, right? And so sure. Fiala, game seven, overtime, and he's kind of feeling three to two. He's kind three of feeling two. three to two. Okay. 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 I think I said four to three. Dex, you said five to I said five two with three? an empty net. Okay. Five two with an empty net. So the the whisperer is saying three to two. Three to two. Three to two. I'm gonna write overtime winner, mm-hmm. Kevin Fiala. Okay. And and three quarters of that prediction took place before the series started. Mm-hmm. The three to two is did, the only new information. Did you did you make that and write that down too? Did you did you also put the pen to paper for that prediction as well? Uh, put the I put the overtime winner, the hockey whisperer. Put the overtime. Yes. I thought winner. you did them both. He yeah. he left Kevin Fiala off. Right. If you oh, would I, like him, I thought you did Fiala. Um, you earlier write that down, and then I thought you hedged on Wednesday just to say overtime wild listen, wins. Listen, listen. The hockey whisperer is not afraid to put his money where his mouth is. <laughs> if it helps you guys out here, write this down. Okay, Hold on. game okay, seven overtime winner yeah, Kevin Clint. Fiala. Three to two. I love it. I think they win. I should leave the three to two off. Kevin Fiala. <laughs> wait, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. You I don't want you to. I don't want you to no, buzz me. See, here's the problem. I feel like I feel like the whisperer was speaking through you, and then you cut him off. Yes, and that's like, true. Hey, whisperer, we're gonna take the score. The whisperer's like, hell, we are. Yeah, this is like those like, conjuring movies where you're going yeah. in and out of being possessed. When or you're like when you're possessed, you don't get to like. Tell, tell the whisperer, hey, whisperer, let's draw a line, okay? <laughs> I mean, Phil is a easy, easy to uh, rage at times guy, easy hot sports takes, <laughs> hot sports takes. The whisperer, again, <laughs> calm. Mm. Yeah, so, mm. that's, so that's the whisperer. It. So the whisperer is going to, he's going to crack a couple seltzers, maybe a little red wine. He's going to settle in tonight, and he's going to. And he's going to essentially watch the rerun of what's been in his head for two weeks live. Tonight. I hope the whisperer. I hope the whisperer makes it through all three periods. <laughs> a couple bottles of red, a oh. couple <laughs> shots of vodka. <laughs> I got some lemonade vodkas some in the world. Every time Kirill Kaprizov touches the puck, the whisperer rips a shot of vodka. Third <laughs> period is great. Third <laughs> period, he's like, Kayla, red wine. Coming up next, the hockey whisperer. 
passes out during the first intermission live on Score North YouTube. Yep. Hey. It's 3 a.m. and the Whisperer's asking who won the game because I got so drunk. It's 3 a.m. on Monday and he's still drunk. <laughs> this is like at the uh, bachelor party two weeks ago when I was like, Miguel Sano hit a game-tying home run on 48 hours ago. I had no idea. That's just going to be yeah. the exact same um, thing. Only his biggest home run of the season, yeah. accidentally yeah. to opposite well, field. The, the best part about it was, yeah, it was Monday, though. Yes. Like, Dex didn't catch up on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. like, three like, days later. <laughs> it's like, Miguel Sano? <laughs> really? So, any final, I know you guys have a big uh, Judd's Hockey Show preview out there. You guys can find that on the Mackie and Judd podcast feed. But any, any final thoughts from you guys? Any final takes or stamps you want to put on this thing going into Game 7? Declan? I, I, I told Judd in the preview, I feel like... This game is the pinnacle of the new wild card. So, obviously, we have turned the page. It's been two years since you've traded out most of that old core. Eric Stahl is now gone. Miko Koivu has retired. And now it's, it's, it's the Kirill Kaprizovs and Kevin Fiala and Joel Eriksson-Eck and Jordan Greenway and those guys. And you have a new goaltender in Cam Talbot, but your supplemental veterans that you've acquired in Ian Cole and Nick Benino. I feel like this is now the new chapter of wild hockey, and it kind of starts tonight. And... I'm. I, I really. I feel really, really good going into this game seven. And and obviously, there's a mountain of a team, no pun intended, in the Avalanche who are waiting for you on Sunday. Uh, but I, I feel really good going into this game seven. And I, I think it's going to be a, a changing of the guard. And the next chapter in Wild Hockey really starts tonight. Wow. I'd like to put my sports dad hat on right now. Okay. And off Dex's point, though, say this: if you're a a Wild fan or heck, a Minnesota sports fan, enjoy this. And here's why. This is, while this should be the beginning of something good, this is unexpected success, right? Like, you thought they might make the playoffs or that they would, but you didn't know that they'd be as good as they've been. You certainly didn't know if they could get to a Game 7 when they were down 3-1. to And with next season will come different expectations, which it should. That's fair. That's fine. Um, but we're not going to go into next year being like, I wonder if they'll make the playoffs. I mean, there will be an expectation that they make the playoffs and at some point in time make a playoff run here pretty soon. So enjoy this because this is the this is probably the most fun. This is the first stage of relationship period right now, right? Like this is the new team. Dex is right. Yeah. It's a fun team. Kaprizov, uh, it's fantastic. Um, it's a likable team now, which it was not for a long time. But all that's going to change in the sense that the expectations are going to be ratcheted up next fall. So Game 7s, by their nature, are so much fun. They're great. But they're especially great when you didn't know that you would get there. And your expectations are, it would be fun to win, but I'm not going to be heartbroken if they don't. Yep. So my my sports dad advice is enjoy this experience because it doesn't come along much. And again, for this franchise... You haven't been to a Game 7 since 2014. That's a long time. Yeah, this is house money tonight. Mm-hmm. Unexpected success. And Vegas, not only does Vegas have a lot of pressure on them because they're in an, they're in an expected Stanley Cup window right now, they also have a couple key players that were sidelined from practice, right? Are they out for the game? Is is, is Ryan Reeves out for the game tonight? Yeah, and he didn't play in Game 6, yes. Yeah. And, and Braden, Braden McNabb, McNabb mm-hmm. who is probably, I think, their most physical defenseman, he's very good, is going to be out too. Uh, huge advantage because you can now throw a lot of checks and a lot of hits that um, the Golden Knights can't respond to. They'll be like, oh, we'd like to respond, but our our guys who can respond are both on the COVID list. Yeah. So, all right, boys, we got to get to one other quick thing before action. We're gonna win, twins. We're gonna score. We're gonna win, twins. All right, Talking Twins presented today by Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Federated been helping business owners in the Twin Cities for over 100 years. Based in Owatonna, they're one of us. Uh, and they support Mackie and Judd and Purple Daily, so we appreciate them helping to keep the lights on for us. They'll help keep the lights on for your business during downtimes, during positive times. If you're looking for risk management tools, resources, peace of mind, federatedinsurance.com has a plethora of resources for you. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. So um, I saw, I don't remember if it was an article, but I saw The Athletic making note of how hot Miguel Sano has been the last week or so. And obviously the Twins just swept the Orioles. So my first question to you guys is, and then I have a comparison to make, are you guys like one foot back on the bandwagon for this team now and Miguel Sano 
Are you two feet back on the bandwagon? Are you still standing off the bandwagon? Where are you at after the last week of hot Twins team play and hot Miguel Sano individual play for like the last 10 days or so? I am three stops down the road, um, and I'm debating if I should get on the train, and I don't know yet. Uh, I'm with you, Phil. Until you get through the next, until you get through next week. So they played Baltimore here. They're going to play host to Kansas City over the weekend. Then they're going to go to Baltimore early next week, and I believe they have a four-game series in Kansas City. And then they follow that up with the Yankees and Astros. Until we get to the Yankees and Astros, and they and they can beat them, and they look good. Um, I am not. I'm not going to be fooled by a hot streak against bad teams. I just am not. Um, I still think that this team has major deficiencies the bullpen is not right as far as i can tell if alexander colome is brought into pitch in in high leverage situations it's a mess so i am withholding my my um participation on the train as far as that goes and on Sano, I would like to see him remain as hot as possible because I would still try and trade him. And I, in fact, think the Twins are giving him some time at third base to try and convince potential suitors that he can play. Hey, he can play first and third because the value of what you could get back definitely shoots up if he uh, can prove that he plays third. But he has gained weight back. I'm not casting judgment against that. I'm just saying as an athlete, that's probably a bad idea. And you can cast, yeah, you can you cast can weight judgment. As, as an athlete. Right. But I'm yeah. saying, like, in personal life, that's fine. Get fat. <laughs> I don't care. Um, but as far as on the field, that's not a great idea. But there's nothing that we've seen outside of 2019 that breaks the cycle of who he is, which is a very sporadic, up-and-down guy who gets hot. Um, but I just keep coming back to this. And this puts aside, like, the whole statistical evaluation thing that we could certainly do. His approach at the plate changes far too much. There doesn't seem to be a majorly consistent approach. And at times, the, the problem is, at times like right now, he hits some home runs oppo or to center field, right? And we're all like, well, that's it. That's what you got to do. And a month from now, he'll be trying to pull the ball again, and it drives us crazy. So I am not on anyone's bandwagon for now, and I will not be until I see this against far better competition than the Royals, who overachieved at one point, and Baltimore, which is just a complete mess. I am, yeah, I, I'm not back in. Like, I, I, I don't know if I'm three stops down. I don't know if I'm five stops down. You're nine Join games me, back. Like, I, nice I, just, I, I remember the it's happening bit as well. I remember 2011 well. <laughs> I remember that very, very well. How What, what the hell happened yeah, there, who, too? Who sold that? Who tried to sell that? Who is the some, shyster? Some, some up-and-coming punk radio guy sold a bunch I, of T-shirts. Well, and I tried to get one, and I couldn't <laughs> at one point. And then they got cold, and I just didn't get my T-shirt. Um no, I, I, I'm not back in. I'm really not. Uh, uh, I, I'm still – I've been pretty unchecked with baseball over this last two weeks, also because of the Wild. I've just been a lot of focus on the NHL playoffs and the Wild right now. They, if the Twins want to rattle off some wins and make this summer something fun and make a little summer fling, I love me a summer fling, so I'm all in in that regard. But at the same time, I, I just, I'm not taking a bite of this apple yet. I've, I've been down this road before. I need to see more of it. Well, obviously, I have the history of taking large bites out of apples like mm -hmm. this, and so I will probably be the first of the three of us. If once they like, if they sweep Kansas City this weekend, I'm probably going to have twins nipple tattoos on Monday. Uh, so, who who am I kidding when it comes to you know being a twins homer over the years? But with this particular team, I think the comparison I want to draw here, and let's let's use Miguel Sano as the centerpiece because he's the one that has been carrying this lineup and Rob Refsnyder, but Miguel Sano has been carrying this lineup since Byron Buxton got hurt, and they've been winning more games, granted, against a bad Orioles team. But the, but the winning is sort of running parallel to Miguel Sano getting hot. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of sort of clapping back among fans and media that are saying, see, look at you know, those of you who wrote off Miguel Sano and wrote off the Twins, look what's happening now. Don't you feel foolish, right? How... How could you so quickly write off such a key player, right? And it kind of feels to me, here's the comparison, like the second half of the season for the Vikings in 2020. See, 
Look at all you, all you guys being negative about Kirk Cousins and writing off the Vikings, and look at them now. Well, yeah, the Vikings finished, what, 500? Missed the playoffs? Somewhere in there? The Twins have clawed their way back now to nine games below 500. The first chunk of the season matters, too. That's the lesson that we need to learn here. When Kirk Cousins led the NFL in interceptions after the first six weeks, it's like more than two-thirds of the way through the season, and the Vikings were buried. You don't just dismiss that. He doesn't just, you don't just get, get to crumple that up and throw it away. That, along with poor defense and a bad offensive line, there's other factors that go into play here, too. But you don't just get to be like, well, but look how well he played after week six. Yeah, and he did. But the first six weeks of the Viking season matter. Just like the first 40 games of the twin season matter when Miguel Sano was unplayable offensively, yet in the lineup on a regular basis, right? So I just like, I did a little research last night too. There's the, there's the narrow view, which is look how hot he is over the last two weeks, which happens two or three times every single year. And then there's the wide view. His last 1,000 plate appearances, which goes back to the beginning of 2018. So we're literally talking about a four-year chunk of his prime, okay? 1,000 plate appearances, 414 strikeouts. So 4 in 10 is an automatic out. 218 batting average, 310 on base percentage, slugging 491, which puts his OPS at 800, which means it's a slightly above average OPS for that stretch. But he's a minus player defensively. He's a minus player on the base paths. He doesn't stay healthy around the field on a regular basis. And his, his, really his only offensive skill is hitting a ball over the fence, which is great when he's hot and he's one of the best at that skill. But I just don't understand why like a one-and-a-half-week hot stretch, or in Kirk's case, like once all the pressure is off and you're now you're, all right, you're one in five, and you're coming out of a bye week, okay, now it's time to take a deep breath. Well, the first six games matter. That game against the Falcons matters. The first 40 games of this twin season, they mattered too. And the Twins, like for me to jump fully back on this bandwagon, beat the crap out of the Royals, the Orioles, and the Royals again, and then go beat the Yankees and the Astros and see if you're back at 500 in like a month. And see if Miguel Sano is still hot in like a month. Then we can, all right, then I'll throw my hands up and say, all right, cool. You guys are right. Everyone was right. So this whole thing was ready to pop all along, and we were all wrong. I think the problem is against good good teams, your bullpen's going to be exploited a lot. Like I just I they didn't build a good one, and and it's absolutely imperative, and has been for what the last uh, five to eight years that like you have three arms in your bullpen that we once considered closer arms well they don't have that and column a is an incredible bust and i'm sorry every time he comes in when it's important when it's truly on the line he implodes now and and i think the white Sox, who aren't dumb well they do some dumb things but as far as their their overall front office i don't think is dumb okay they saw something there and allowed column a to walk on the snow cousins comparison I think the interesting thing, though, is this. And here's where they go in different paths. Kirk Cousins is good at what he does. I don't think he's great. He's good. Statistically, he's he's very good. Um, but his position's hard to find. So, like, you don't just have a guy. You can't just say, Jake Browning, I think he deserves a chance. You, you've got to develop a guy. You've got to draft it, as they did with uh, Kellen Mond. In the Twins case, I'm looking at this like I think the team should, Phil. And Dex, which is Alex Kirilov, is going to be really good. Alex Kirilov, long-term, in my opinion, is not an outfielder. He's a first baseman. Um, okay, so then the, the response of the Sunil stands is going to be simple. Well, Cruz is going to be gone, so he can DH. Can you imagine how big this guy is going to get if he is a full-time DH? He's going to get huge. Like, when when has he ever shown the discipline? And I don't know a thing about him as a person, okay? But as a baseball player. So I'm speaking strictly as a baseball player. When has he ever shown the discipline in his approach to the plate, in his approach in the field, um, or or his weight to be like, okay. Now, there have been different times. He definitely finds God at times. Like, somebody talks to him. I get that. But if you say, okay, Miguel, Nelly's gone. 
Kirloff plays first, JD plays third, and you are, you know, 2021 or two. You are our DH. He's going to get enormous. Like, you can bank on that, Um, which is why I think you allow him to get as hot as possible. You play him at first and some third, and you get what you can now. Um, And the last point off this, I've now realized it's not Terry Ryan's um, um, mistake of giving up Ortiz and allowing the Red Sox to sign him that frustrates me. It's Ortiz's success, which allows every sports fan in this town to point back to any player, especially baseball players who might leave, and say, it's Ortiz again. Do you know how rare that th- – that's one of the worst moves in baseball history. It actually is, to me, the single worst okay. move in the history of baseball. But, like, so when it's Oswaldo Arcia or Kenny Vargas or Sano, all differing players, right, Phil? Um, the default of, well, Ortiz again. No, it's not. At least the Red Sox 100 years ago got hundred grand for Babe Ruth when they sold him to the Yankees. At least they, at least they got something, right? And they financed a play. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, you know, I, I, this happens all the time. If, if Miguel Sano finds a level of consistency that goes beyond a two-week stretch once in a while, all right, then he'll have turned the corner, and then you guys can throw it all back at me or at Judd or whatever. But it's not controversial to say factually that over the duration of his prime – a thousand plate appearances, he has not been the overall player that everyone thought he was going to be, and that he was in his rookie season. Hmm? That's not like a hot take. It's not even an opinion. It's just a fact. Right. So I, I just don't. I don't get like this rush to the to the window to defend uh, the start to the season. Like it, it's going to take more than a week hot stretch for the team and for Sano to dig out from what they did the first six weeks. Well, so you know. and a hot stretch against bad teams too. Like you were supposed to be really good. They're better than they like. They're better than yes. the worst team in baseball, and so yes. I fully expect they them to at least play but, some five hundred baseball. But like the, the last yet. week, shouldn't be a pleasant surprise. It was supposed to be like, oh, you beat Baltimore to it, or you swept them. Of course you did. Yeah. You're way better than the Orioles. Hey kids, how's the water? It's full of weeds. I can't move my legs. Uh, your arms are free, right? Yeah. yeah. Wave them around. It's fun. You kidding me? This can't be happening. This is Jamie from the Aquaside Company. Clear your water completely. Destroy weeds, algae, and the muck that's preventing you from enjoying your water from property. We know your time in the water is precious. We're the Aquaside Company. Call 800-328-9350 or visit Aquaside.com. Stay Permit may be required. So, all right. Anyhow, enough of this nonsense. Let's get to the main event here, boys. A little action movie rewind on this Friday. I'm Detective Carter. Do you speak any English? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Put your bag in the back. Put your bag in the back. No, 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 no. You put your own in the back. I'm not a sky cap. I'm FBI. You understand? Hell you think this is. Welcome to the party, pal! Action movie reviews with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee-ki-yay, mother Man, just sit there and shut up. This ain't no democracy. Yes, it is. No, it ain't. This is the United States of James Carter now. I'm the president, I'm the emperor, I'm the king. I'm Michael Jackson, you Tito. Your ass belong to me. Why would they not? want my help. Because they don't give a damn about you. They don't like you. I don't like you. I don't care. I'm here for the girl. The girl don't like you. Nobody Drop likes will you. will be made tonight, 11 p.m. The amount will be $50 million. $50 million? And who do you think you kidnapped Chelsea Clinton? Keep him talking. In U.S. currency, nothing bigger than 50. All right, right, all right. Cool, cool, cool. $50 million. No problem, no problem. I want 20 million in 50. 20 million in 50s. 20 million in 20. 20 million in 20s. And 10 million in 10. And 10 million in 10s. You want any fives with that? <laughs> All right. Action movie rewind every Friday here on Mackie and Judd. It's, it's the Mackie and Judd movie review franchise. We also have sports movie rewind that we mix in some Fridays, rom com rewind, which we mix in, but we're back in the original lane that we started in which is Action Movie Rewind, Rush Hour, 1998. 
Here's the summary. 61% on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way. When a Chinese diplomat's daughter is kidnapped, uh, kidnapped in Los Angeles, he calls in Hong Kong Detective Inspector Lee, played by Jackie Chan, to assist the FBI with the case. But the FBI doesn't want anything to do with Lee, and they dump him off on the LAPD, who assign wisecracking detective James Carter, played by Chris Tucker, to watch over him. Although Lee and Carter can't stand each other, they choose to work together to solve the case on their own when they figure out they've been ditched by both the FBI and the police. Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus, a kick-ass addition to the cop-buddy film genre. Mm -hmm. $35 million budget turned into $244 million at the box office. Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker. Jeb, we'll start with you. What was your key main takeaway from Rush Hour? This is very simple for me. Welcome to Beverly Hills Cop 1998. Uh, <laughs> Chris, I mean, Chris Tucker took the the Murphy playbook, uh, lock, stock, and barrel. Like it was, like it was the playbook. It was the play. I mean, they wrote fast the talking, yeah, swindling, exactly. yeah, yeah, swindling, trying to. I, okay, so two things. Two takeaways to support my point, and and this is not just bashing, okay? Like I'm dead serious. This was the same film. <laughs> the the beginning with bad guys that aren't exactly involved with the crime, uh, where the cops get shot, and it's funny because the cops get shot, but they're not killed. I told you guys I was a cop, and he blows up the car and he gets in trouble uh, with his. Lieutenant, the only difference is instead of uh, instead of his boss screaming at Chris Tucker's character, uh, James Carter, he assigns him. He acts like he's doing him a favor by assigning him to the FBI case. Right. And then, you guys, the end, the end is the Beverly Hills cop end. The only difference there is is he doesn't like the agents, and so he tells them to buzz off. But where they show up and do the mea culpa, hey, you know, you weren't that bad a guy. You helped us. Despite the fact you derailed our investigation completely, <laughs> you helped us solve the case. You worked alone, and we appreciate that. When you get back from your trip, there will be an FBI badge waiting. I mean, this was – that was my takeaway. Tell me – and it doesn't mean that they're bad films – but like, what's what's the difference? It 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 had a little. I mean, it might have had a little bit of of forty eight hours too as well. But I mean, that they basically took those scripts and they're like, hey, let's try this. And it clearly, from what yeah. you said about the take, it worked really well. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I mean, there there there's a ton borrowed from from. Well, and we'll get to. There's a real real tie in with. Beverly Hills Cop that we'll get to later in production notes. But, yes. What about you, Dex? What was your main takeaway? My main takeaway, it's it's a beautifully tone-deaf film. And uh, even though it's 1998, which isn't that, I mean, what, it's uh, the 20, 22 years ago or so? Um, usually when we're watching movies from the 80s, you, you see more of the tone-deafness. But because it's still the late 90s and you're still riding that wave, it, it, they push the envelope actually even more. Yeah. So it, it's it's beautifully tone deaf. Um, there's off color jokes, pun intended. Um, I, I it, it's still entertaining too. Like I I've, I remember seeing Rush Hour two in theaters, and I've seen Rush Hour one before too. So this wasn't my first time seeing it. It's probably been though like five or ten years since I've seen this. Um, but it's a beautifully tone deaf film, and I I I, I usually st if it's on TV, it's one of those ones I'll stop and I'll probably watch a few scenes with like in commercial breaks. But um, it's a it's a beautifully tone deaf film. It's hilarious. I don't think I've seen this movie in 20 years, and I'll, I, it, I, ordinarily I'd try to deviate with a different answer, but my main takeaway was the same as Declan's, which is this is glaringly, like, uncomfortably <laughs> racially insensitive. At the, at, when this movie came out, the promos they ran, I mean, Declan played a couple of the clips, right? The main promos they ran when this movie came out were Chris Tucker just condescendingly talking down to an Asian man, right? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And like, and everyone in America just, oh, it's hilarious. Asian people like that's that like, I mean, that's what it was like it the was. whole, the, the movie was like making fun of Asian people. There's a couple, there's a couple parts in this movie where Chris Tucker is literally like, We'll send you back to where you came from. I don't know where you come from. Japan, China, you know, wherever you came from. He's just like lumping a bunch of Asian countries together. You know, it's like every stereotype that we've tried to get away from.
for 20 years as a country uh, plays out in this movie. And I will also add, Jackie Chan was one of the biggest movie stars in all of Asia going into the late 90s. And uh, and he had done some American films, but this was his first like major English-speaking role in his American film career. And they kind of just – like he was great in this movie. And he's – to me, I think he's actually the like the star physically of this movie because he's doing all his own stunts and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they basically make Jackie Chan seem like an oblivious, incompetent boob from a different country. You know, like, oh, you know, he's just like, oh, yeah, he, he's a smart guy and he's clearly smart enough to help solve this crime. But at every step, they're like, all right, you're going to be kind of the dumb Chinese guy. And it, I don't know. Uh, I think it – My I guess my main, main, main takeaway is that I knew that we have made pro- some progress as a country and, and have a lot more progress that needs to be made. But I didn't realize we were still that insensitive in 1998. But when you look back, woohoo. So anyways, all right, back to Judd. Your favorite thing about Rush Hour. Okay, this is going to differ greatly probably from what you guys have, but my favorite thing was the absolute cliché. Excuse me, my notes just covered up my camera again. Uh, The absolute cliché of this film, (laughs) at the end, the outtakes. Yeah. I love <laughs> outtakes. They're great. And Jackie Chan, like, trying to, like, screwing up. And and uh, so at, at one point on the scene that Declan played where Chris Tucker is talking to the um, to the uh, guy who is holding the girl hostage and demanding the ransom, Chris Tucker couldn't say or couldn't remember Chelsea Clinton's name in real life. <laughs> yeah. And so he kept screwing it up. Yeah. And, and so like, but, but they're all like, Oh, that's hilariously funny. I love these action films that are just full of death. I mean, they're just, you know, they're not grim, but they're just full of death and killing. And then at the, the end it's like well before you leave the theater you can see how funny things got on the set and, and yeah and J- you know jackie chan drops the gun and he's laughing and so uh i thought i just i don't know if we still get those but that outtakes the outtake things for action films i find to be especially hilarious i was i was a big fan of the outtakes section at the end and yeah. then in and there was even sort of a behind the curtain glimpse there was there was one sequence where Jackie Chan was saying some line in English, and he got hung up on the word "caught." You know, he said "caught, caught," and then he looks over. I mean, he, you know, he he didn't know how to speak English that great in terms of being on camera, and so like he probably in the three months of filming for this movie, think about how hard that would be to learn all the lines, learn how to speak them fluently enough so that the native audience can understand you on camera. Yeah, so, absolutely, um, that was cool. Uh, Dex, what was your favorite thing about this? Movie? Uh, favorite thing is Jackie Chan's a badass. I, I love Jackie Chan, man. Um, his stunts, the like, and I know obviously there's mess ups because they show him the outtakes, but like he does pull them off so, so well. It's it's awesome watching him just be completely obnoxious. And you know, you could make a case it's oh, like it, you can make a case all these stunts are completely least believable, and maybe one of you two have that in your least believable category. But I the, actually, <laughs> but at, at yep. the same time, the stunts seem so real. And then also just a 1B is, I mean, Chris Tucker is awesome. Like, I love fast-talking guys like Chris Tucker, so I, I, I empathize with them. So um, I, was, I was a big fan. I think, they both, I think they both just blend off so well together. So I, I, I would say my favorite part is just Jackie Chan being a badass throughout the film and Chris Tucker being Chris Tucker. Yeah, Dex and I are very much aligned here so far. My favorite part of this movie is the fact that Jackie Chan does his own stunts. You know, there's a lot of big-time action movie stars that, you know, the, the minute that you have to step over a phone book or something in a scene. It's like, up, oh, stunt double, come yep. on in here, right? And and Jackie Chan came in. There's a there's a note in one of the write ups about this movie that there's a I can't remember which scene it was, but he's he's like on the side of a building or something. I'm just reading from the write up, but they had scaffolding to sort of protect him just off camera at the scene, and he was like pleasantly surprised that they would even do that. That. A lot of the apparently a lot of the stunts that he would do in some of his earlier movies were much more dangerous and they didn't have as much protection. But I think Tom Cruise was known for doing a lot of like his own stunts, too, in those Mission Impossible movies. Not all of them, but yep. But he loves to run and like, you know, get out there and and do some of the stuff. So uh, I just loved Jackie Chan being Jackie Chan and coming in and kicking ass and all the different different movies you know modern day bruce lee for those of us who grew up in the 
in the 90s. All right, what was your least favorite part about Rush Hour? The bad guy. Yeah. British which, British which, oh, okay, that guy. British okay. commander Thomas Griffin yep. was the most completely predi- like you knew. Like I don't need a lot of curveballs, but at least throw me a, 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 a one changeup, one curveball. You knew at the start of that film when um they they were what toasting the, the guy whose daughter eventually was kidnapped. Uh, that that guy was going to go from being, you know, my friend, my ally to being a bad guy. Yeah. You know, the, the guy who's supposed to be your friend, but it, no, he stabs you in the back. And you, you don't realize it till the very end when he pulls out a gun and says, you I, I feel like my plan. There's also the, I think this happened a lot in 90s movies. It happened in at least one or two Mission Impossible movies. It happened in Air Force One where like your right hand man guy or one of your right hand men is going to turn on you. And the way that they make the, the way that they foreshadow in these movies throughout the nineties is always the same, right? It's like, they, like something will be discussed in the room and then the camera will linger on that one yes. guy, like a second longer. And you're like, Oh, that guy, that guy, why, why is the camera lingering on that guy? <laughs> yeah. That's and you know exactly suspicious. why. Well, and then the lines are things like, you know, you are my comrade. I'll, yeah. I would, I would never hurt you, you know, <laughs> Yeah, or I will or protect you for life. When, when the guy is talking to his his friend in air quotes about the uh, ransom, and Griffin's character says, "My advice, just pay him." It's like, oh, really? That's your advice because you're <laughs> going to get the money. So anyway, that was. I, I don't need a lot here. Like, I'm not asking for a James Bond esque storyline or something. But that character was, to me, just so predictable and pretty damn boring, too. So yeah. that was my least favorite. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in lockstep with Judd. Just the lack of an iconic villain. Um, like it, I, I do think this one, although it, yeah, it's Buddy Cop, obviously, it, it definitely teeters more on comedy than it does on action, you know? And and even with uh, Beverly Hills Cop, there is still, like, a good amount. Like, there's a good villain in that. There's, a good, there's a, also, like, a good storyline, at least, in it. Uh, with this, it's just, it's more of, they just want to get Jackie Chan to do the most ridiculous stunts and Chris Tucker to just be Chris Tucker. That's that's the whole point of this film. And honestly, bravo, that's accomplished. But at the same time, if we're looking for like our iconic bad guy, th- like he might even be, and I'm excited to do our bad guy ranking because he, he might be at the bottom. Because it, it's just, it, it there, there's no iconicness to it at all. So I'm in lockstep with Judd. That, that there, there's, no, uh, there's not a good enough bad guy for me in this film to really gravitate towards what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think I, I'm with you guys. I think if there was a more, I mean, the movie franchise went three movies, so obviously they did fine. Um, real quick on, before I get to my least favorite thing, was this franchise, I'm trying to think in terms of buddy cop movies and franchises after this mm. 21 jump street was big yeah. with, um, Channing Tatum, Jonah Hill, Jonah Hill. Yep. It's a good one. This might've been like, this might have signified sort of the the downfall of, uh, or or I guess the oversaturation of buddy cop movies. We you know forty eight hours was what nineteen eighty or something, yeah. and then we went into Beverly Hills Cop and all these eighties and nineties. Well, uh. And this one to to what Declan is saying was definitely more of an attempt at at the fast talking comedy. As opposed to, like, they kill a ton of people, but it's also, you know, hey, look at that guy just fell off the roof. It ain't that, you know, a, a great scene or a funny scene. So I'm trying to think, yeah, what was the next? And and was this around the time that the Fast and Furious franchise came along and, and the franchise idea started to shift as well? Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like we had, if, unless I'm forgetting completely, it doesn't feel like we had a ton of buddy cop films after this do, and we certainly don't now do we consider fast and the furious to be a buddy cop franchise? no no i'm saying franchises that replaced the buddy cop franchise idea yeah 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 i'm try- just trying to think i mean i don't know i i, I think 21 because ju- there was 21 jump street and then there and then they made 22 jump street yep mm-hmm. i don't know that there's anything really on the level i mean i'm sure there's been buddy cop movies that I, like um uh right along Ride Along came yeah. out, and yeah, there's been like, that was like Kevin Hart, and there there's been you know. even like you can make a somewhat case like there's cop involved like you know Superbad has two cops that play in a hilarious role in that film, but right? that's like, not a buddy, but cop. it's not a buddy cop, cop right. film. But then no. like 
you you have uh, the other guys, which is like Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg. That came out like 10, 11 years ago. I actually, it's one of my least favorite films that's ever been made. I believe Rami made Derek review it on a Score North Live one time. Um, and then you also like Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz was like kind of like a goofy. I don't know if you guys ever seen Hot Fuzz. Uh, that's like, never heard of it. Definitely, it's, uh, it was like two thousand seven. That was also a, a pretty good film. That's like Simon Pegg and. But it's not like a like a global phenomenon like no. these, like I'm talking. Big. And it didn't start a franchise. I, I would say yeah. Rush Hour and Bad Boys were kind of the end of it. Like that was yeah, the last okay. true like the last true one. buddy cop franchise. Yeah. Uh, least favorite part for me. So this probably could go in least believable, but there's a couple couple options in that category. So I'll use one here. <laughs> Why fifty million dollars? You know, like we should we should almost oh. go through all the different ransoms in movies, whether it's this movie or wasn't there a ransom in Taken? Uh, yeah, I guess the movie Ransom with Mel Gibson. But like fifty million dollars on short notice in twenties, fifties, and tens. The denominations are the best. I, I almost feel like, listen, I don't, I, I I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in how to pull off uh, a large kidnapping ransom. But I just feel like fifty million dollars raises too many flags and gets too many different agencies involved. You know, <laughs> it's just it, why, why don't you why don't you start small? You know, instead of one big fifty million dollar heist, why don't you try like ten smaller heists for like a million dollars and work your way that way? You're just like you're you're too much on the radar with fifty million dollars. I think because it's I think part of why they don't care about that is it's such a cartoon ultimately, and like because because you know. The bumbling FBI, right? Like, there's always a bumbling, you know, the bumbling cops. Oh, hey, and, you know, I just do my own thing. I'll solve this thing. I think they just don't care about about the potential um, truthfulness to the entire thing. I mean, it's not plausible, and they don't care. Do you guys think, how many times do you think in any given year in the United States, is there some sort of ransom negotiation or discussion between criminals and the FBI? Like, do you think this type of thing happens on the down low? I think it does happen. And do you think the, the FBI ever pays? Oh, oh, no, I don't think the ransom ever gets paid, but I do think, like, there are probably crazy people that do call authorities and ask for a ridiculous sum of money. I do think that happens. We just don't hear about it enough. Do you think it still happens as much now? I feel like it was a much bigger 70s and 80s thing. Because um, it was harder to track people, and yeah, you figure. couldn't. Yeah, there, there was not the computer access. Now, now, now you're like, I mean, whatever. Like, I, I suppose now you could like you could pay someone, let get them to stand down, and then just go find them with GPS tracking, take the money back. But like, I here's what I've never gotten: Why do people now, if they do, why do they think drop sites work? You drop the suitcase <laughs> in that garbage can, and I'll pick it up. No cops. You show up alone. I yeah, show like, up what, alone. Who's ever going to show up alone? <laughs> like, for your own safety, right? <laughs> like, forget trying to catch the person. You're just not going to show up. Like, like, the whole drop site thing. It's yeah, just a very how, bizarre. And how can you be sure that the other guy is alone, right? Like, right. Yes. I, I almost feel like you bring your guys, I'll bring my guys. And then, and then, so then it's all on the up and up, not on the up and up, but like, then it's all in the right. open, right? Right. We but should like put, if, the, we should put together a ransom kidnapping consulting business. But like, yeah. if maybe, I kidnap, maybe that's the pivot here for us. If I kidnap a kid, which I've never done, but if I did, <laughs> Thanks for I'm, not gonna, you clarified. I'm not, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to tell mom Uncle and dad, John, Uncle John. drop me that suitcase in a garbage can in, in Worth Park and I'll go pick her up. <laughs> And no cops. Where are my parents, Uncle yeah. Judd? No cops. Let's go watch a hockey uncle? game, kid. Shut up. Let's go watch a hockey game. Here's a soda. I'm gonna drink a Here's beer. A but I mean, think about that. <laughs> like, like, why would you? Why? Why would you think that that would work? You know, drop this. Put the um. Put the briefcase on the south southernmost chair at put, Central put, Park or bench. Put it in, put it in the put it in the mailbox outside the train station. Yeah, like why? <laughs> Why would you think it would work? All right, least believable thing in rush hour, Judd. Okay, I've got a lot of things, but I'm going <laughs> to condense it down to one because it's a small thing, but it is, and, and it's not a rarity, but I feel that they went the extra step here, so I give them credit. I think for the most part, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker's characters are wearing the same clothes throughout much of this <laughs> film, like the same suits. Yeah, well, Chris Tucker for sure is wearing the same dirty and, suit. And there's like one scene where they're chasing the bad guy and they don't 
get, get them and the floor collapses below them and they fall a long way and they would clearly in real life be hurt pretty badly, but they're not hurt. But Chris Tucker's suit is, is, you know, messed up. Like he's fallen a long way. And then slowly but surely as we, um, as we get through more scenes, the suit just gets cleaned up. But we always see him. He never goes home. Yeah. I don't think there's like a clear, okay, uh, it's nighttime, he's going to sleep, and now it's daytime. And so, oh, he put on a fresh suit. It might be the same suit, but it's fresh, right? Like, their suits, they just wear the same suit. <laughs> yeah. And there's like no, oh, you know, when I fell six stories, that suit, uh, it, it how, how, how many da- I don't think this was a long duration of time, right? It seemed like it was over the course of maybe just yeah. two or three days or something. Yep. I mean, they, they certainly didn't. But didn't you find that hilarious? Like, sleep. like they fell, their suits are all messed up. And then as we progress through more and more scenes, they just clean up. Yeah. Uh, it, it would That would be one of the hardest things about making movies. Like there's always people uh, on staff in the production part where their their whole thing is about making sure everything aligns right in the movie, right? That there's no like weird <laughs> glaring issues. <laughs> that where... person I hope was fired. But but wouldn't it be hard in an action movie? Because you're probably doing a million different takes. You're trying to piece everything together. And throughout the course of the movie, you have to make sure that his suit isn't... I mean, obviously, they didn't do a great job. But, <laughs> but why didn't he like, just change... Like, if they had just changed the suit, it'd be like, oh, he went and changed. Yeah. Instead, it just That's cleaned itself up, like, magically, on his body. Yeah. All right, Declan, your least favorite part about Rush Hour. All right. My least, or least believable part. Least believable least part. Believable. Her kidnapping. So it's rush hour, right? The, the, it's, it's literally rush hour. The movie is called Rush Hour. And she's taken in abandoned streets during the middle of rush hour. It doesn't make any sense. It I'm make so any glad sense. you brought this up. So let's, let's go through this for a second, okay? So it's, it's rush hour in Los Angeles. And the whole plan here, presumably, to kidnap this girl was to have one single traffic cop on what looked to be like a three- or a four-lane street in which that car could have been in any one of those lanes. For this heist to work, that car had to be in the right lane Yep. so that that traffic cop specifically spots the car, which is not a given, got to spot the car. It's 1998 here, right? You're not, <laughs> it's not like you got Uber open and you're tracking a car. Like, this is 1998, man. You, you don't got an iPhone on you. And, and so... A, car has to be in the right lane. B, traffic cop has to recognize that car while also like pretending to work as a traffic cop. And then C, everything that happens after he directs the car into that abandoned lane, right? Like, I'm with Dex here. There had to have been a different way to kidnap I'm the telling girl. you, but they just didn't care. Yeah, they didn't care. <laughs> like, think about this was a cartoon. Like, they, they thought as long as Tucker and Chan are good, and they were good. We don't care. No, they left huge holes, and they just like didn't. They they had to watch the, this film when they screened it, right? And be like, that doesn't make sense. And somebody well, clearly said, "Don't worry about it." Declan and I continue to be on the same page here because my least believable thing also had to do with the kidnapping, but it was later in the movie. So you're telling me, okay? Oh. <laughs> you're telling me that this this group of savvy businessmen—they're all dressed in suits. They're at least smart enough to, to, uh, to get close enough to pull off a $50 million heist. There's all kinds of money and, and, and uh, I would say money and connections to money and right. Right. And they are housing this kidnapped gal in some room above a popular Chinese restaurant in the Chinatown part of Los Angeles. That's where you're housing the girl. Like so that you can just walk in, walk up the steps, and oh, there's all these criminals hanging out upstairs with security cameras on every table of the Chinese restaurant. Seems like kind of an odd place when you're dealing with a fifty million dollar ransom to be stashing this girl. Absolutely. No. I I think in this film, I think the script for the scripts for the main characters worked well. Like they they had chemistry. I think it worked out. But as far as the plausibility of the scripts and as far as the care that they put into them for that, yep. it was zero. It really was. Uh, I got another question for you guys here, a little trivia question for you. So Chris Tucker, I mean, this was Chris Tucker, late 90s. You know, he was 
one of the most famous actors in the world at this point because of this movie. And then he wound up getting $20 million for Rush Hour 2, and then I think $25 million for Rush Hour 3. <laughs> so Rush Hour came out in 1998. Not counting Rush Hour 2 and Rush Hour 3, which came out in 2001 and 2007. Any idea how many movies Chris Tucker has been in since 1998, aside from the other two Rush Hour movies? Less than 10. Like, so, so, I'll, I'll, 10. I'll give you, I'll give you less than that. Uh, I'll say four. Two. Really? Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, great movie. That's right. He's his best friend. And then Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk in 2016. No idea what that is. Not familiar. I love him in what, Silver Linings. So, what happened to him? I don't know. I was going to ask that question. What happened? He he basically made $50-plus million off the rush, and then he got a percentage of, I think, one of the sequels or both. He also got a percentage of the box office. So that dude made ridiculous money off of the Rush Hour franchise. Yeah. And and he's and, and his his background is stand-up comedy. I think he's made a couple returns to stand-up comedy. Um, he's, hosted, he's hosted the BET Awards, according to... So he's done some stuff, but like... He basically did Rush Hour, and he was in Friday, he was in Money Talks, and then he was in Rush Hour. Friday. Um, and Great then he movie. pieced out, and then he was it's done. very bizarre. Yeah. Like, like it, it's not bizarre to piece out eventually. Lots of guys and gals have done that, but it's bizarre to piece out that quickly after that big a franchise. And he was like 30. Yeah. Now he's not, I think he, I don't, he's like 50 years old. He's not that old. He's, he's basically Judd's age. He's 49. Yeah. <laughs> so, I tell you right now, I feel old. Interesting. <laughs> All right, production notes. While the Rush Hour team was determined to get Jackie Chan on board, they were less convinced about having Chris Tucker play Detective Carter. In <laughs> fact, Eddie Murphy was the first choice. <laughs> no! Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, I didn't read those notes. Oh, How my gosh. How about that? I mean, Eddie Murphy couldn't have done this, right? And plus, Eddie Murphy was doing so he was doing all kinds of movies in the in the late nineties. Plus, what's the he had like? Moved, he had moved past Beverly. If Hills he had Scott. done this, what's the difference between his previous franchises and this? Yeah, no, it's uh, it would be tough. It would be tough. And wow. then uh, Eddie Murphy turned down the role. Will Smith and Martin Lawrence were also considered. They were huge TV stars in the nineties, right? Martin and uh, Fresh Prince. Yeah. And so they were considered, I don't know if they turned it down, but then Chris Tucker was eventually approached after Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Is, is this before those guys did the, what's the film franchise that those guys did? The cop oh, film, the um, buddy cop film. I think it was reviewed. after. Yeah, it was after. That was after, okay. that was like 95 that they did. Oh, okay. Uh, Rush Hour was the catalyst for the creation of the review aggregation website Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Seth Duong, the website's founder and a Jackie Chan fan, was inspired to create the website after collecting all the reviews of Chan's Hong Kong action films as they were being released in the United States. In anticipation for Rush Hour, Chan's first major Hollywood crossover, he coded the website in two weeks and the site went live shortly before the film's release. And now, obviously, it, is, it has become the biggest, most popular movie uh, archive website in the wow. world. That's why. I'm just going to see what that what that dude's net worth is. Let me see real quick here. That's a great production. I'm, sure he, I'm guessing you probably well, like sold even that. like even now like commercials like they'll say like 98 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You have to see this yeah. film. You know, like they yeah. they cited all of the, all the films that never would have guessed. Never would have guessed. It. I wouldn't. Yeah, no kidding. The first article that pops up when you Google his name is Rotten Tomatoes founder has a few regrets on selling the company. Oh, so he sold Rotten Tomatoes back in 2004. I don't oh, know. I be, oh, I bet he does have a few regrets yeah, now. No four, yeah, probably wasn't. Well, four wouldn't have been a, probably no. the greatest time to sell. And he probably still made pretty ridiculous money. Off sure. Sale, yeah, but so. can you imagine now? I bet it's worth yeah. or like 2017 if you had sold yeah, that sucker. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, any other final thoughts from you guys before we get to the definitive bad guy rankings and uh, the overall ranking for the movie? No, I'm LAPD down. feels like. Breaking news, a bit of a toxic culture in the 90s, too. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, Chris Tucker getting made fun of and clowned by his coworker. Hey, James Carter that... told those FBI a- agents, he told them both, I'm LAPD, man. You can, uh, you take, can take your take badge and stick it up your yep. way. Yep. My God. All right. Definitive bad guy rankings here. So the criteria we're looking for, how iconic is the bad guy? How ruthless is the bad guy? How charismatic is the bad guy? Uh, to this point, the top bad guys we have reviewed are the Terminator from Terminator, 
Hans Gruber from Die Hard, Michael Myers from Halloween, The Predator from Predator, Cyrus the Virus from Con Air, Simon Phoenix from Demolition Man, Brad Wesley from Roadhouse, Cobra Kai from Karate Kid. Boys, I think we're working in the bottom section here. So at the very bottom, Max Dent from Beverly Hills Cop 2, the incompetent Russian military from Rambo 3, the muggers from Death Wish, the French drug lord from Bad Boys, Gans and Billy Bear from 48 Hours, and Cullen from Kindergarten Cop. I'll start by saying there's nothing iconic about British Commander Trader Guy, is what we're going to call him. Yep. British Commander Trader Guy. There's barely anything ruthless about him. I mean, he's, no. he's like compared to the rest of the guys on this list. You know? I'd be comfortable with putting this last on yeah. our list. Wow. Wow. Because the supposed, not charismatic. the supposed bad guy turns out to be working for British Commander Trader Guy. Yeah. Uh, like I even got confused about what, like, was this a mafia? I, I yeah. no, last is fine. I think yeah, it's last. I mean, man. I'm with Dex on this one because a lot of the other ones above him are more ruthless. There's not a lot of charisma among these bottom five or six, and there's nothing iconic. So, listen, I'm not going to fight you guys. I'm not no. going to fight to put him like above Max Dent from Beverly Hills Cop. No. So, all right, and at least like Max Max Dent scenes were. They weren't good, but like this guy had zero impact and you knew he was the bad guy. And then when he showed himself, it was just sort of goofy. Yeah. So, all right. Now we get to the, uh, the one through 10 ranking of the entire movie, just from an entertainment value standpoint, the top movies we have reviewed are Terminator, Die Hard and Halloween, all a 10 across the board taken John Wick, Commando, Predator and Beverly Hills Cop, all a nine or above. At the bottom, the worst movies we reviewed are Demolition Man, 2.7, Kindergarten Cop, 2.8, Shoot 'em Up, 2.8, Bloodsport, 3, Mad Max, 2, 3.7. So we'll start with Judd, 1 through 10, your enjoyment level. I'm great. going to ding this film. I'm going to give it a 4, and here's wow, why. Dude. Here's why. It's a cartoon. I don't like cartoon action films. <laughs> um, I, I actually thought the Tucker-Chan chemistry is good. I sort of like that. But everything surrounding them is a cartoon. It's not believable. It's not plausible. And that's okay if there's sort of a half-ass attempt to make it plausible. There was not. Like, everything about this became cartoon-like. It's a four from me. Okay. I I like this film. Like I, I, There's definitely some bias involved because I think it's just a goofy, fun film. But in terms of what we're trying to do... Um, I'm I'm going to give this a six, and I still think that might be even a little high, but I, I do like this movie. There's a lot of other movies we've reviewed that I would rather never watch again in my entire life, where this one I can repeat and I can watch it because it's funny. Um, yeah. And that, that is probably uh, bias in my ranking, but I, I'm going to give it a six. It is a six out of ten. All right. Yeah, it's it's definitely not one of my favorite movies that we have reviewed. I don't know that it holds up that well just 23 years later it's it's i'm giving it a 5.5 it's a 5.5 it's not a train wreck certainly not up in the 8 9 10 category and i think just how uncomfortably anti-asian this movie is Mm -hmm. is just it just doesn't hold up in that way either um so it's a 5.5 for me which makes it a 5.2 average score tied with pineapple express just behind 48 Hours, Death Wish, and The Rock and Con Air, which seems right. I wouldn't put this movie above Con Air. I think Con Air is criminally uh, low, low in our ranking scale. Who, who dinged that one? I think Rami and Jonathan. Rami and Jonathan were I think not I like high Con on Air. some of these movies. Yeah. I think I like that one. Yeah. So That's great. So we have it. Uh, boys, all right. So I've, I've, I've kept a list going back to like last fall of – the movies that we have thrown out and the movies that listeners want us to have on this list. So I still have a list of movies that we haven't done yet. And I'm going to throw four more into the mix for us to review over the next four weeks. And if you guys disagree with any of these, let me know. It can be a negotiation here. So here are four of them. Under Siege. Judd's been throwing out Under Siege for vote. It's a Steven Seagal classic. So we'll put it on here. Yep. Over the Top. The Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling truck driver <laughs> movie. Rocky 3, which I think is probably the best fodder of any of the Rocky movies, is Rocky 3. It's just so 
it's just like everything about peak culture in the 80s. And then I know this one goes over the two-hour limit that Judd likes, but it's such a 90s classic with two icons as the stars, Face Off. People have recommended Face Off to us. So Rocky Three Under Siege, Face Off, and Over the Top. You know what? I'm also going to add uh, I'm gonna add a fifth one for us because this has been recommended by Declan threw it on here. A listener did. We're going to put Snakes on a Plane on this list as well. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a good I one. I have never seen Snakes on I've a Plane. I've seen yeah, parts geez. of it, but not the whole thing. Bleeping Snakes off this bleeping plane. So uh, and, uh, before I make you guys pick one at random here with the guessing a number one through five, any major objections to, to these movies? No major objections. Um, I kind of feel like I would like a unanimous decision, though. I feel like I kinda, I'm kind of leaning towards us agreeing on a film and not doing a random pick. That's kind of okay. how I'm feeling. And I personally, I think we should just do Under Siege. Okay. We've been, we've been kicking it around. Judd's been wanting to do it. We haven't done Seagull since... Um, I missed him. Since what, it's been what? a while. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Let's I think do we, it. Let's just do it. Let's do Under right. Siege. Okay. Under, Under Siege. Siege. Little, some tight Steven Seagull jeans, probably. And a slick back wet ponytail. Really punching. People. I guess is very Which little off. Most to do, very little offense did. from his opponents. Gary Busey too. <laughs> oh man, Love Gary Busey. Uh, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. Oh yeah, I'm in. Dude, this is great. There's All a right. lot going Sweet. on with this movie. Yep. One forty three. Under siege next week. <laughs> One forty three. Yeah. On action movie Love rewind. It. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope hopefully you have uh, a fun holiday weekend. We will be live on the Score North YouTube channel, or at least Judd's Hockey Show will be. Maybe they'll get a cameo from uh, the Hockey Whisperer if this game pans out the way that he knows that it will. And so as long as the Wild want to keep playing hockey, we've got basically daily content coming at you on Mackie and Judd and Judd's Hockey Show. So uh, we'll see you guys soon. And this is cool, man. Hung's let me go to Hong Kong with you. You know I ain't been on no vacation in five years. We can hang in my crib. I will show you my hood. Now, you can show me a couple of them Chinese girls. When I get over there, I want a massage because I'm going to get buck wild. No police work for two weeks? How long this flight? 15 hours. 15 hours? What are we going to do for 15 hours? <laughs> Whoa. Oh, <laughs> hell no. Listen to me. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy Five or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.